To escape poverty, she had two choices. Find and marry a well-off man who hopefully was nice to her. Two, leave home and sell it to many. Both pretty much the same option. However, only one of them gave her a chance at independence and a certain type of freedom. Not only did she excel at selling it to many, she became one of the richest landowners and a businesswoman who gained the respect of those in her town. Powerful enough to make political changes and moves, but never letting it get to her head. I got someone to be my leg, gonna make a dead man come on. I got someone to be my leg, gonna make a dead man come on. Hello, my name is Summer, and this is Paying For It. Thank you for being here for episode 26. I am excited to be here. I hope you are too. I definitely learned something about myself and my love for this part of history. Apparently, I have a certain taste for history as well. Clearly, I have a type. <laughs> Um, so last week's episode, I touched on the fact that I got a weird type of writer's block or even like, I don't know, I felt like it was like a burnout, but it really wasn't a burnout because I w was like wanting to do it, but it was like, a, it was a weird type of writer's block, I would say. I actually got mad at researching the Heidi Fless story because... I couldn't stop thinking about her, thinking about how the fact that she was still alive and that she had like a shitty end of the stick, I would say. <laughs> but it, like it, when I was doing Heidi's story, I felt myself like resisting going to write, resisting even learning about her, looking up facts. And, and so I feel like that like really showed in my episode. And so yeah, I got a certain type of frustration with it. And I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, am I just burnt out? Like what's happening? Um, but then this week came along and I got started right away on today's queen. And I was obsessed. I, it was almost like I couldn't stop researching it. And I think I know why. I think it's because I have a type of history that I like to learn about. And um, yeah, so Heidi, I felt myself really dragging because her story is so fucking recent and modern. <laughs> We're talking about a queen who really didn't get her chance to evolve and grow into the madam that she could have been. And that's such a bummer because we have to remember Heidi's story 
it's pretty much done by the time she's 25 or 26. And it's real sad because most of our madams from history get some time to really grow and evolve and become the woman that they are supposed to become. And I feel like Heidi didn't get that chance. And I feel like it's such a bummer for her. Because her career as a madam was in its infancy and we took it from her, on top of that, she kind of got the the book thrown at her with like the whole justice system and she had no real way to recover. And I get it. It's the chance you're taking when you're deciding to break the law, especially when you're not paying your taxes and stuff and She's probably one of the reasons why um, girls nowadays who are still in the sex work industry know better than to not pay their taxes. And I also think a lot to do, like, I also think a lot of that has um, a factor in why once getting out of jail, she kind of turned to drugs and alcohol abuse and kind of struggled throughout life afterwards because she had her mindset on on what she wanted to do with her life and then it kind of just got taken away from her and in such a complicated and shitty way I guess um but yeah so it was like so recent though I'm like in the 1990s the year I was born she is getting arrested and putting on trial for this she's still alive and it was hard to see because I just wish we were at a better place in this world, I guess. If we go back into history, we see the woman they try to hide from us. Women like Heidi that got to thrive in their own ways, make money off the one thing that sells more than anything else in this world, you know? I like seeing examples going right, and that's exactly why I like today's queen she grew within the world started from the bottom learned and advanced her career to this point that she to the point that she no longer was just a madam selling sex but a landowner and a hell of a businesswoman all while staying humble and kind treating herself well her town well but most importantly her girls we will get into all of that and more, but first, how the heck are y'all? I feel back in my groove now that we're going back into history into like 200 years. Um, apparently, like uh, I get a certain type of rage when it comes to modern um, stories. Not saying I won't do them, but I will plan differently for that. I will give myself time to want to rage out for them. Uh, but yeah, so uh, going back into history, at least these women, though it was some of them, some of the women we talk about, it was still illegal, but it was a more on checks and balance kind of thing. Pay your fine, do like do a couple days in jail if you can't pay your fine. And uh move on kind of thing it didn't destroy their lives and they just went right back to business nowadays though we just can't handle women making money off the thing that sells the most and it's just uh, 
frustrating but yeah i do feel back in my groove with this one i couldn't i was really interested in our queen today and i think that has a lot to do with the time period it came from and uh <laughs> if that makes sense hopefully that makes sense maybe i'm making zero sense i don't know i got a different angle going on today because i have no idea what i did with my tripod little you know how a tripod works. They have that little thing you screw onto your camera that like clips into your tripod. Lost it. Lost it. That's why there was no video last week. But this week I had made it work and we're back. Slightly different angle. I kind of like it though. I'm not going to lie. We'll see. We'll see when I s I'm actually like, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope you all are having a wonderful week. Um, I hope you guys... I hope you guys had enough time to go to the movies, do the double feature if that was something you were interested in. And you know what I'm talking about. There was all the rage of Barbieheimer, okay? I went to see Barbie, of course. And well, geez, why did it make me laugh and cry, <laughs> okay? I wasn't expecting all those freaking emotions going into it. I just was like, it's going to be a party. <laughs> And then I end up crying. <laughs> it was so cute and really, really good, though. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and was um, pleasantly surprised on how actually deep it was. <laughs> I was planning on going to see Oppenheimer as well. We were going to do Barbaheimer or whatever. We were going to do the double feature, but unfortunately, it just didn't work out for us. We couldn't make the times right and we were busy and just yeah so you know we'll probably just wait for that one to come on streaming but that's okay <laughs> i not that i'm not interested in seeing that movie i just yeah i'm it's not like it wasn't one that i would have chosen to go to the movies to see right away because it's not usually my style of movie even though i know like it's an interesting history. However, because there was such a hype about doing the double feature, I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. Cause that's just like a fun experience to be involved in, but it didn't work out. So whatever, whatever. Okay. Uh, next time, I guess this week though, I'm going to try really hard to go to the opening week of talk to me i believe it's what it's called it's that scary movie that's coming out and about like um what i think the plot is is that they find a hand like a um a hand from a morgue and then they start like interacting with this hand and it like opens oh like <laughs> it allows um like it allows something to enter into the the chat I would say that shouldn't be you know like if that makes sense I think there it's a like a possession movie is what I'm assuming or maybe not a possession movie all right sorry my mother called me this boy this cat this baby anyways yeah so we have a different angle hopefully it's good and uh what was i saying yes we're gonna go see the new barbie hunt or no we we're gonna go see hopefully the new scary movie that's coming out because it looks good it looks creepy and i think it's not like a possession movie maybe a possession movie but more like a a demon movie or something yeah i'm not sure 
So we'll see. We'll see about that. And um, I'll let you guys know. And yeah. Okay. So I'm pretty impressed with today's queen and think her story, of course, doesn't get enough attention in glorified people from our history. As even though she was one of the richest landowners of Montana, she got there by selling sex. If we celebrate her, we would be celebrating and condoning something that is quote unquote immoral. So we can't talk about her. We can't glorify her. And we Wow. Okay. Having technical difficulties for sure. Actually, cat difficulties, kitten crazed. Kitten crazed. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, we can't talk about her. We can't glorify her because she was a woman who knew the number one secret to making money, honey. That was sex, baby. Men were willing to pay a lot. And she was willing to provide just as much as her girls were. Even back then, the world tried to smear campaign her, but that was quickly proven false. It's so hard even for people to believe back then. Women would choose to live a life of sex, sin, and carnal desire. They must have been forced into it, right? Well, like most of our girls that we have talked about, we learned that if you peel back the layers of their story, it's not so simple. So with that, you know what time it is. Grab yourself a cocktail, a mocktail, a coffee, whatever you fancy. Today, I have a coffee, an iced coffee, a little white choca, white choca? hello, white chocolate mocha, and I made myself a little soft top, and so yes, 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 whatever you have today, I hope you're enjoying it, and yeah, cheers, 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 and let me introduce you to Josephine Chicago Joe Airy. Born Mary Walsh in Ireland in 1844, the exact date of her birth is, well, you know, a mystery to history. This is kind of the case for much of her life in Ireland and her younger years. So we actually don't know her parents' names or even an understanding of what their family dynamic looked like. Was she an only child? Did she have siblings? Were her parents good to her? What were they like? We're not sure. Not that it completely matters that much to Mary's story, but I still like to know all of them juicy details. I'm nosy and curious, okay? Don't blame me. Anyways, her parents make the decision to immigrate from Ireland to the United States in 1858, making Mary 14 at the time of the trip. The family, big or small, found themselves in New York. Now, in New York, things are still a little unclear about her life. Some sources say that her loving and hardworking parents gave her everything she needed and sent her to, a, to, send her to first a regular school and then an etiquette school in New York. Other sources state that Mary was illiterate and was poor. 
My opinion is that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I assume that if Mary was illiterate, she wouldn't stay that way her entire life. On the other side of that, if her parents did send her to school and were loving, they still weren't well off, I would say. Because we know that in New York, she starts working before she turns 18, and it seems that either she does this because she was uneducated or maybe because she was an Irish immigrant, she was only able to get a mineral job. Mineral job is basically a broad, tor- <laughs> broad term that is used to describe what used to describe work that does not need any skills and is badly paid and often boring. For example, jobs like stuffing envelopes or repetitive assembly line work. So anything that's like considered unskilled. And back in the day, they were severely underpaid. They were working long, 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 long hours and severely underpaid. And so she's kind of like, is this all there is to life? But just like working this job. Mary, like a lot of the women we have talked about, come face to face with a fork in the road of their life at around 18. One road turns off to working in a sweatshop-like job until she's married off to hopefully a decently wealthy and nice man. Or the second road takes her down a wildly independent lifestyle that was allowing women to have money and status of their own. In a lot of poverty-stricken women, selling sex to one man or many men was pretty much the same thing. However, selling it to many gave them a type of independence that they would never have gotten as a married woman. Mary, and of course we're here because Mary chose the path of independence, adventure, and freedom. So at the age of 18, Mary chooses to move to Chicago, leaving parents, maybe some siblings, and the life that she has always known behind. In Chicago, Mary starts working as a prostitute in the Tenderloin. This is also when Mary, in Chicago, Mary starts working as a prostitute in the Tenderloin. This is also when Mary comes up with her first alias as a working girl. She starts going under the name of Josephine Airy. In her time in Chicago, she learns the life of the working girl ways, you know? And she clearly does pretty well for herself because she's able to accumulate a considerable savings. And by the mid-1860s, word is spreading that four miners had struck it rich at the Last Chance Gulch. Eventually, Last Chance Gulch would prove to be the second biggest placed gold deposit in Montana, producing some $19 million worth of gold in just four years. So you know. A gold rush means exactly that. Almost overnight, thousands of men found themselves flooding into Montana, specifically the Last Chance Gulch, 
where the four original miners who had discovered the gold added to their wealth by establishing a camp slash town. Helena, Helena, where they would provide food, lodging, and supplies. Though they didn't have the right equipment to provide one of the very important things that the miners were so always desperately wanting. We know from our past ladies that the gold rush means miners rich with cash and lonely as hell. Whether or not Josephine was illiterate, it's clear that she wasn't stupid because with that information of the gold rush and all those lonely men, Josephine was ready to go to town and do some mining of her own. So the 22-year-old perky, curly-haired girl made the 15,000-mile voyage to Helena, Montana, the newly established mining town. She quickly goes to work establishing one of the first houses of ill repute in a log cabin. Her first establishment is a major hit within the town because unlike her competition, she makes her log house cozy and full of entertainment. The other early establishments for the ladies were little shacks where women worked out with no frills pretty much. She purchased a log cabin for $375, hired girls and musicians of a full orchestra, and opened a Hardy Gardy house. A Hardy Gardy house gets their name from the string instrument often found within them. So in the time that she buys the log cabin, her uh, Hardy Gardy house starts becoming very, very popular. And she's pretty new to town, but people are starting to know who she is. It's here that she gets her nickname and her nickname is Chicago Joe and the town of Montana starts referring to Josephina as Chicago Joe and I don't know why I am interested probably because like she's from Chicago and Josephine they just you know whatever mash it up but this is where she gets that nickname and what she's kind of known for today if you look up Josephine, you kind of can't find her unless you put in Chicago Joe. So, you know, she she gets this. I think it's funny that some madams, a lot of the madams all, all have like silly little nicknames. I kind of love it. And I kind of like wish I could be a fly on the wall and understand like, did they like it or were they kind of like eye roll about it? Because I know sometimes with nicknames, you're just like, oh, why do you call me that? Uh, so yeah, it's just like something I think about. But anyways, let's get back to it. <laughs> she knew that the mining season was short and the hours were long, but the miners themselves had high wages and not a lot to spend their money on. So Josephine made her only business model so very simple extract as much money as she could from the men in the short time they were on her premises. Now that is exactly what she and her girls did, monetizing everything. Upon walking through the door, they are first greeted by the girls, offering them a dance they, that they, of course, would have to pay for. Each dance started at a dollar. After a dance with a beautiful woman, they were highly encouraged 
to buy the extremely overpriced liquor that was sold in the house. Now, I don't know why they say it's extremely overpriced. Maybe because it is. Maybe because, yeah, I don't know why they considered her liquor extremely overpriced. But I guess maybe she was like, if you're here to, you're not just here to drink, you know. I'm, I'm sure that in some ways that encourages men not to just come to drink. Because that's not the main um, attraction for what she's trying to get established here so i'm sure that's why but also hey you know she wasn't trying to make some money then if they still had the money time and wants they could get more than just a dance in the back rooms if you know what i'm saying the business model worked so well for her that she started expanding her business she also started recruiting women from Chicago, which will later cause her some sort, some kind of trouble that quickly dies down. However, first, a fire is going to break out in the district in 1871, taking a lot of her competition's buildings out of play. Josephine's buildings go untouched, though. After the, that fire breaks out, another fire breaks out in Chicago's in a Chicago's bank that actually insured a lot of the shacks that were taken out in Montana. So they are forced to sell on the fact that they would not be able to get the insurance money from the burnt down banks. Because this was in a time where you trusted the banks and they didn't always have like insurance policies in place to keep your money safe once it was gone it was gone pretty much josephine then realizes the opportunity she has on her hands and decides she needed to start buying the buildings from the other woman within the district at a pretty cheap cost this is when josephine starts to really expand her business aggressively then, in 1875, Helena becomes the capital of Montana. Soon, Josephine's customers start being less miners and more lawyers, legislators, and the affluence and influential. Soon, she finds herself in a position of prominent local philanthropist and society's hostess. Not only that, but due to the fires and her capitalizing on them, she, she finds herself in the position of being one of the richest landowners of Wood Street and also in Montana. It shouldn't go unsaid that for a woman, this is a huge, huge accomplishment for any woman of this time. Crazy how we look down on these women and just shame them for everything they've ever done. However, look at how many of our lovely ladies of the evening were wealthy, affluent, and landowners. That was so not allowed. <laughs> like, if you were a proper lady in society and you are married, you aren't buying land. Like, it's so, so far from what actually was allowed back then that it is hard to explain why that is such a huge feat for anyone, let alone this women, let alone a, a improper woman, okay? But the only type of women who really could have that freedom to do such a thing was 
a woman of ill repute. Owning land gave you a different status and definitely made you someone to respect in a certain type of way, even if they found what you chose to make your money off immoral. You Once you become a certain type of rich and wealthy and have a certain type of status and power, it no longer matters what you've done to get there. It's that you have the money to back up the respect and and they just kind of had to give it to you, to be honest. We don't know much about her personal life, although we do know that in 1878, Josephine gets married to James T. Hensley. From this point on, she, of course, starts going under the name Josephine Chicago Joe Hensley. Another thing that happens after she gets married is all the articles go on to attach James to all of Josephine's accomplishments as a businesswoman. Honestly, I don't feel comfortable doing that for a couple of reasons. One, I looked up James T. Hensley and well, who the fuck is he? Why does he take, why does he get any credit for her hard work other than the fact that they were married? Like, he is no one as far as I know. Not like he wasn't no one. It's just that as far as his history goes, he was not important enough to get his own wiki page. So it's like, does he actually have anything to do with it? Or was he just married to her? I don't know. And so, yeah, this leads me to my second point. He clearly may have had his own money habits to the point that Josephine had to take some action to protect her money from him. So I just want to say, I don't know if I can attach him to the big business pushes because it seems like <clears throat> he really wasn't involved in her business other than being married to her. At this point before marriage, Josephine already is very established, having multiple dance halls and brothels, like the Grand, which was one of her largest brothels. She also rented out other of her properties she wasn't using for her own business. So not only does she have businesses that are bringing in money, she is also a landowner where she is then renting out her property, so she's getting passive income and this is all before she even gets married so her accomplishments come from her and her alone and i just think that his name is attached to her accomplishments because you know we have to give some men like we had like if there's a man involved he has to be involved you know we can't just say oh they got married we have to say oh he helped her with things and maybe he did i don't know it wasn't there um but i'm just gonna say I think she would have done it without him, and clearly she did it without him. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, from here on out, he was involved in all of her business um, like endeavors, when I just don't think that's quite the case. And I have backup for that. We'll get there. In the years following her marriage, though, she builds a stone fireproof dance hall under the name Red Light Saloon. This is the new, <laughs> you know, throughout history, we had to learn from our mistakes. And like, they realized that wood buildings maybe aren't such a good idea because like t mining camps were having issues where fires were going, breaking out, you know, there was the um, Deadwood, major Deadwood fire that destroyed like half the town. So it's like, 
we are getting to the point where we're like, oh, okay, we have to like be careful. <laughs> She's smart. She's like, I'm going to try to find something that I can build with that is less fire, uh, less fire flam flam flammable. My gosh, why did I just zone out on? Um, so she, she decides that she's like, um, <clears throat> wants to protect her buildings and her like assets and stuff by, um, really trying to build buildings that were less flammable due to the fact that she was one of the most influential landowners and wealthy people, um, in Helene allowed her to donate to charities, but more importantly to political campaigns, making her a woman of with status and power. Helena is a town of less than 10,000 people at this time. However, it was the home to over 50 millionaires, one of those being Miss Josephine, Chicago Joe. So it's clear that Helene was thriving, and that also meant Josephine was thriving. Josephine was known to be a fair and honest employer. She paid her girls well, she treated them well, she took care of them, and that's, we love to see it, okay? She was also known, of course, to throw the big extravagant parties. She was definitely the town's socialite and made sure to always keep the buzz around her name. A lot of her relationship with her husband is a mystery to history, though we get a glimpse at James T. Hensley and the lengths that she had to go to protect her money due to certain little vices he may have had. See, it seems like James may have been a gambler and, of course, a drinker. And he may have been a bad one at that, because in January 1883, Josephine had to place a notice in Helene's newspaper, the Daily Independent, ordering local saloon owners and gambling houses not to serve her husband liquor, allow him to gamble, or loan him money. She had to run this notice basically to make it legal for her not to be responsible for any of his debts her husband incurred. Letting us know that she had to pay for her husband's bad habits more than enough times to be willing to put a very public notice out. Honestly, Loki is kind of funny, but also so fucking embarrassing for both of them. I'm sure, like, I'm sure that was her last ditch effort on, like, I don't want to have to pay for your shit anymore, um, so get it together, I mean, even though they definitely stay married their entire lives, so there is love there, and there is, um, hopefully a good relationship there, but still, like, I would be so mad <laughs> at him if, like, <laughs> I would be so mad at him if I had to be, like, Okay, I had to put this stupid ass notice in the newspaper. Everyone's gonna see it. I'm sure it was more common just because like drinking and gambling was such a problem back then that <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people had to do stuff, certain things like that, but still, uh, not even a lot because honestly, most women would never be able to tell their husbands no. <laughs> never. Okay, so. This might be, oh, I'd be so embarrassed. That's all I can say. For Christmas that same year, 
she ran another ad in the paper, this time for a much joyous reason, as she was going to be hosting a grand masquerade ball at her red light saloon. This was this ad was to issue an invite to all of the citizens of Helene. However, in 1884, another article was ran about her. This one claiming that Josephine had tricked and trafficked women to Helene to work for her. The article stated that she would recruit women to work in a hotel, but leave out the main part of their job description. This, though, just seemed to be a hit piece on the top, madam. For someone who probably thought she shouldn't be doing what she was doing, let alone getting rich off of it. Helene, though, took the claim very seriously, as they should, and did an investigation, as they should. Sending over officers, they talked to all of the girls to, at every establishment she had that girls worked at, and probably they probably knew some of them personally, let's not lie about it. But so they go over there to do this investigation and all of the girls talked so very highly of Josephine and fully denied that accusation, stating they knew full well what Josephine had been recruiting them for before they got there. It turned out the main reason this claim was taken seriously, though, was that Josephine was known to help or pay for the girls' fare. Um, to travel from Chicago to Montana. If we remember from episode 23, Deadwood's conclusion, if you haven't listened to my Deadwood series, I highly recommend going back and giving it a listen. It's very good. Anyways, we talk about um, Al Swinger, who would um, do a very similar tactic, uh, which was he would recruit women by stating they would be an actor or an act in his theater, tricking them into thinking that they were moving to, it, to be an actress or to become a star. He would then pay their fare, making them indebted to him upon arriving. They would then find out that he actually ran a brothel and they, he expected them to work for him. Those who refused would be kicked out onto the very muddy and rough streets of a very lawless town of Deadwood. Those who stayed would be beaten and mistreated by not only the customers, the staff, but Al himself. It was a pretty common thing for him to do and everyone pretty much knew what he was doing. But because he was a wealthy white man, no one stopped him. Even when law was put into that town, they drew an imaginary line in the ground allowing Al to run the quote-unquote Badlands. The big difference between the two, though, is that Josephine wasn't tricking her girls. She took care of them and didn't pocket all of their money. There's a difference between willing and wanting to become a sex worker and being tricked and forced into human trafficking. That's why they're not the same thing, and that's why we should take all those claims very seriously, but from everyone not just the women okay like we we allow these men to just do whatever the fuck they want because what they got money and i know it was back in history and it was like a different time then but you know have we learned from those mistakes i don't think so however 
Politically, things changed within Montana, and new laws were being passed. So in 1885, legislators in Montana passed a law that made the hardy-gardy houses illegal, attempting to go after the queen right away. They arrest Josephine almost immediately. Josephine, of course, is able to hire a very good lawyer for her time. He got her acquitted on a technicality that her establishment employed live orchestras rather than the crank-tuned hardy-grotty players. Getting out of the mess, Josephine wasn't about to just take this political war that was being raged down on her lightly. At the next election, she threw her resources and money against the district attorney who had prosecuted her and helped her secure his defeat and if that isn't some oh baby revenge we love to see hell yeah because i want to be 100 percent clear that if this attorney general um who prosecutor prosecuted her wasn't her, one of her customers he was someone else's customer and if he wasn't someone else's customer something in his vice something in his life was not so you know we could all say that he was just doing his job whatever but mm, sorry can't live by that uh he yeah no and what's so wrong with a hardy guardy house when most of the houses were just men paying for women dancing and drinking. It's only the reason we have a problem with this because women ran them. Get out of here. At this point, though, Josephine is starting to move towards a more respectable business side of things. And in 1865, she builds her largest building yet, a vaudeville-style theater called the Coliseum, which was about 30 grand to build and it proves to be a major success josephine makes sure to outfit it with the most glamorous glamorous furnishings stunning girls that she hired to perform within and top top acts the coliseum becomes her quote-unquote family friendly establishment due to the fact that it wasn't a brothel so sex was not really sold there or really kind of had there. Maybe some of her girls were on dates there, but nothing crazy happens, okay? Plus, they were, were really known to be very discreet when serving liquor, which allowed you to be a family man but still get your drink on without the family being any wiser. Though in 1893, the Great Panic hit, which was touched on briefly in episode 10 of Vanna Fields, who was a Chicago madam of the Levi district. But basically it was a time between May of 1893 and November of 1893 when they had a true and severe financial panic. They had a run on, it, like the United States had a run on currency, banks were closing, it caused businesses to not be able to open because they couldn't pay their employees and workers and this basically affected everyone and hit the united states very hard josephine is no different when the panic hits she is forced to sell off a lot of her properties on top of that she is forced out to shut down the coliseum because no one is able to kind of afford that theater experience at the moment and so 
She only kind of keeps the red light saloon open, and that's barely. She doesn't sell the Coliseum off, but um, she doesn't have it open. And eventually, when the panic is over, she does reopen the Coliseum, and part of that Coliseum gets turned into a brothel. Eventually, though, the Coliseum's uh, success kind of tapers off due to the fact that she was no longer able to afford those top acts it once was known for. Eventually, she will go on to sell it, only keeping the Red Light Saloon, where her and her husband, James, will live out the, rest, uh, the, live out the remaining days in an apartment on the top floor of the saloon. Josephine will pass away at the age of 55 on October 25th, 1899 due to pneumonia unlike some of our ladies of the night her death was mourned throughout the town getting a huge and uncritical front page article in the daily independent which is kind of unheard of to be uncritical and to get for front page you know her death sat in the community and they gave her a proper burial and ceremony in the catholic church also kind of unheard of for someone who, um, you know, was immoral. The future Montana governor, Joseph Toole, was asked why he attended her funeral. And he states, Chicago Joe had helped him and many others in their time of need. And that really kind of shows her character of who she was. Even though she did immoral things to get her money, she wasn't an immoral person and she was a very humble person. And we love that for our queens. And that, my friends, was the story of the good, the bad, the ugly, but also the glamour, the power, and the freedom of Josephine Chicago Joe, the woman who built an empire and was able to gain political power through the act of selling sex at a time where women were treated less than. So, what a queen. I think Josephine's story is pretty interesting in the fact that she was a prime example of a woman from our history who got her start in the industry but didn't allow the confines of her society to stop her from becoming a businesswoman and a landowner making her at one time one of the richest landowners of her time in montana on top of that she did it all while being a good person looking out for her community and the people who worked for and we don't even recognize her as someone important in montana's like for real history like i bet you if we went to helena would they have any mention of her on land uh, marks maybe but probably not but i bet you we glorify some men in montana that quite don't deserve it and don't come for me it's just the truth we know it you know it everyone knows it we know she was a good to her girls because one she wasn't deceiving them like some of the male brothel owners were in this time and most probably all also it's reported on how fair she was as a boss paying the girls well for what they did. We also know she had no contempt for the girls who aspired to be like her. In fact, it seemed like two of her girls would, be, would become a certain apprentice to her and eventually go on to open and run their own successful bordadellos within Helena and Montana. This leads me to my mini-series I'm considering starting over on my Patreon. Just 
quickies, little stories of some madams or sex workers that most of their stories may be a mystery to history, but we know enough about them to know that they had a footprint in the industry. Their stories deserve to be told, and I'll be starting with, and if I do start this, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to, because I've already started writing them, I'll be starting with the two of the girls who worked under Josephine. So, you know, check that out uh, if you're interested. And yeah, with that, that's all I have for you this week. I hope you enjoyed getting to know about our queen of this week, Josephine, and I'm interested in what you think of her story and all of her accomplishments and how much of a suave businesswoman she was, illiterate or not. And you know, if you haven't already, please consider liking, subscribing, leaving a review or following wherever you are listening. And uh, yeah, if you're really vibing with me and my spicy takes on history, jump on over to Patreon, paying for it, or patreon.com slash paying for it, and check out my video versions that come out early on Sundays, and hopefully my little quickie mini-series as well. Um, until next time. And yeah, so that's pretty much all I have for you today. I will see you next time. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy whatever you have in store, even if it's just a little me time. And yeah, until next time, goodbye. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone between my legs and make a dead man come out.